0: Welcome to church. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Genesis, it's the very beginning. We're gonna be in chapter one. Uh, yeah, wow, I don't know why that's like surprising to me. I'm the one who figured this out. But it's too easy. So like go and then there's a table of contents, and then just go just past that. <laughs> you don't even have to use the table of contents. just go past it. Well, everybody? Uh, we are starting a four-week series talking about friendship, friendship, yeah, yeah. raise your hand if you have friends, <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right, I didn't do the opposite, but it's okay, okay, so we're talking about friendship tonight, and and I'm I'm so excited for this series and for these four weeks that we're going to be spending on this topic because I think friendship is something that is very near and dear to God's heart. Very near and dear to his heart. Not just that we would be in friendships, but that we would have friendship with him. And that we would recognize that the source of anything good always starts with him. And at that place, then we can enter into friendships that will revolutionize our lives in this world. That people would look at us and the way we befriend others and go, whoa, something radical is happening there. That we love people the way Jesus loved us, and that is like a radical love. And if you don't know Jesus or that, you're like, okay, cool, yeah, sure, I'm sure it's pretty radical. Start reading the Bible. Get in there. Uh, Specifically the Gospels, and you're going to start seeing stuff that you're like, wow, that's pretty wild. Like, he did what? He did that? like he's God and he washed their feet he he the things he does are overwhelming and remarkable and the crazy and cool thing is that we are invited into participation with him in those things he does those things for us and then we get to do those things with him for others and one of those things why wow, I said that word a lot is friendship friendship so As we go through these four weeks, tonight we're starting off just sort of setting a foundation, laying a foundation of why we're even talking about this, of why it matters to God's heart and should matter. Not just should, it just already does matter to your heart. No matter how much you deny it or just want to ignore it, it matters. And so we're going to dive into it. The first line I just want to put up there for us to contemplate is this, that relationship is the medium of life. It's the medium of life. And if you're like, medium, what is he talking about? Okay. I mean, like, relationships. That, that's like the canvas and acrylic. It's the stone and the chisel. It's the kitchen and the ingredients. It is the medium. It is, it is the, the tools. It is the, the context within which we live. We do life. All of it. The highs, the lows, all of it fits within the context of relationship. I think all all of life's most meaningful, most valuable, most powerful experiences happen in the context of relationship. All of them. We were built for relationship. We were made for it. And the God who created us, he created us in his likeness is relational, relational in nature. So, relationships, they're foundational. Friendship, though, goes a next level. Friendship is the process of healthy and meaningful relationships. Friendship is the process of healthy and meaningful relationships. At the heart of every healthy romance is friendship. Friendship is there. It's the foundation. And from beginning to end, it is there. In every healthy romance, friendship is there. Notice the word healthy. Friendship is that like ridiculously unfathomable reality of Jesus and what he did for us to bring us back into relationship with God, that we get to have friendship with God. Our friends shape us, they humor us, they comfort us. And if they are truly your friend, as we will talk about, they will confront you for your own good. Like even in your relationship with your parents, there are elements of friendship. There are elements of friendship, especially as we get older, that dynamic changes. But I even look at my son who's three, my daughter who's two, and there's like I I befriend them. I like them. I wanna know them. I wanna have I wanna have relationship with them that is healthy and meaningful and powerful. I wanna be friends with them. Of course, you know, some people go like, you're supposed to be the parent. And we could talk about that another time. I agree with that. I agree with all of it, but anyway. Balance is very important. So, relationships are the medium of life, and friendship is the process of a healthy and meaningful relationship. You know, would I don't need to have you raise your hands. We've already done that. Can we do it again? Sure, okay. (laughs) Think about it for a moment. Of the most meaningful, powerful experiences you've had in life that were good, did it involve some element of friendship? Like, raise your hand. Yeah. Like, friendship is so central to to having a life of flourishing, the life that God intends for us, that He wants for us and calls us into. As we reflect on this topic over the next few weeks, I just want to point out these two definitions of friendship that are revealed by their use in Scripture. So the first is in the Hebrew. The word that is most commonly used and related to friendship is ra. And as you uh, look at it, when it's uh, in the context in which it's used relating to friendship, if we look to all the things that are around it to find the definition of what it means, you kind of come around to these things. That it is an intimate companion, an affectionate, trusting relationship between two people. And this is really unique, and I love it. It's really, it's very often associated with shepherding, connected to shepherding. The shepherd is the trusted companion of the flock. The shepherd has affection for the flock. The shepherd knows the flock. The shepherd is friend to the sheep because the shepherd looks out for the sheep's best interest. The other is in the Greek, which is most of the New Testament's written in the Greek, and and the word that's used there is uh, philos. And definitions we see is that a, a friend is someone dearly loved who is prized in a personal, intimate way, a trusted confidant, held dear in a close bond of personal affection held dear in a close bond of personal affection. Do you know that Jesus looked at the disciples and said, I call you friends? Like, like reflect on these definitions. The three things that stand out to me are, are these. Intimacy, trust, and affection. This is the commonality between them. We, we see intimacy, we see trust, and affection. And as I said earlier, re- Friendship is a process. It's a process. It has a beginning, and it continues along, and, and, and you, you never actually arrive. Processes don't have an end. If the definition of something is a process, then it doesn't have an end. It just continues. You're constantly in it. Friendship is a process. Like when you think about these three things, when I think about them, at least trust, Intimacy and affection, those are things that can wane and dissipate over time. Those are things that can be built over time. Those are things that can be maintained over time. I'm saying over time on purpose, because I think so many of us want those things and bemoan not having them either with God or with other people, but we never put in the time. We never take the time to build it, to enter the process, to go through that process, not just with God, but with the people around us. That takes intentionality. It takes purpose. It takes patience. But doesn't that seem like it'd be worth it? To experience friendship, to experience intimacy, trust, and affection? It's worth it. It's so worth it. So friendship is a process. I think the best place to start as we go into this uh, uh, over these next four weeks is I'm going to start just by talking about God himself and who he is and, and why he made us the way he did and how it all happened. Like he's the one who made us. He's the one who arranged life and emotions and mind and spirit to revolve around relationship. But why? Why? Why did he do that? And I think the most simple answer is that it comes from God himself. You know, there's a we're wading into some deep water tonight. Hope you're ready for it. Anybody heard of the Trinity? Yes. Yeah. If you haven't heard of the Trinity, that's okay. The Trinity um, can sort of be summarized in in this in, in with, with two basic aspects. And the Trinity is actually, it's a doctrine. It's a theological conclusion about the nature of God. Trinity, tri-unity. Three in one. The basic definition would be that there is one God. There's one God. And we see from Moses meeting God at the burning bush when he says to God, so what should I call you? And God says, I am who I am. That's what Yahweh means. I am who I am. There's no name that does justice to who I am. The only thing that defines me is me. There's nothing that you can relate to me that is complete enough to to grasp all that I am. I just am who I am. And that's a singular thing to be I am who I am. There is one God. and We see this play out all over in the scriptures, but one, probably the most significant one, is in Deuteronomy 6.4, and this is, it comes out of the, the Shema. This is like a very important, uh, I don't know, I guess it's not a prayer. Maybe it's a prayer. Anyway, it's a thing that would be recited regularly. What's it called? Creed. Nobody else is excited about that. I was really... <laughs> oh, my God. It. It's a creed. And the beginning of it goes like this. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is one, singular, there is one God. But then we see that there are three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And this plays out all throughout the scriptures. We see it most like undeniably, I guess you can't ignore it, in the New Testament where you see Jesus, the Son, fully God, fully human, coming to the earth and and one, claiming and making clear, I am God. By the things he did, but also the words he spoke, we also have the Holy Spirit. We see it play out all in the New Testament that it's there, but that's not just the New Testament. The Trinity is present all throughout the Scriptures, if we look for it. And we're not going to dive into all of it. I'll talk about it in a moment, about why. But I just want to point out two things in Genesis, which is where we're going to be, Genesis 1. Genesis 1. And the first is that the very first verse of the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And that word in the Hebrew is Elohim. And it's actually conjugated, maybe. That's the right way to put it. I don't like English. No, that's weird to say. I don't like grammar. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's so hard, Tyler. It is so hard to use them. Okay. Sorry, I'm distracted. Elohim, how I think conjugated might be the right word. How it's conjugated in the Hebrew, it's in the plural. That's weird. Why would it be in the plural? When like all the rest of this is talking about one God, it's just weird, right? Then we get into Genesis 126 through 28. And that's what we're going to read. That's our passage for the evening. I'm just going to read through it. And notice the plural that is used here. Then God said, let us, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. I'm going to continue reading to 27 and 28 because we're going to get into that later. 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. All right. Notice the plurals. Anybody else pick up on that? Us are. It's weird, right? It's weird. Okay, Question. How can God be one and three at the same time? I don't know. I don't know. And I think it's so important to like recognize who God is. That my greatest mental faculties and use of all the studying I could do, the people who are way better at this stuff than me, which there's kind of a lot of them, could put all their minds together and still fall in not even short, like they're not even getting to the first rung of the ladder to understanding who God is. He's completely beyond us. He's completely outside of us. To even comprehend and grasp this is an impossible task. It doesn't mean it's not worth debating, but I'm definitely not going to try and do it tonight or would be here all night, and I'm just not sufficient for such a task. Truly, I'm not. Like scholarly wise, I'm not but also it's actually I'm not, <laughs> like, and neither are you. And I think it's important for us to recognize who it is that befriends us. It is a God so beyond us, so completely beyond what we can even fathom, that the identity he has, a tri-unity, we just go, and our brains explode because it makes no sense. That is the God that befriends us. Anybody else feel unworthy about that friendship? Oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah. I am unworthy of that. Why would somebody so beyond me that I can't even fathom his structure care about me? And that may sound like a dark thing. That may sound like a sad thing. But That is the most beautiful thing in the world. That the God who is so beyond everything would look upon lowly Brian, who's pretty weak, quite frail, emotionally, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) That he would look upon me and love me, seek intimacy with me, extend trust to me, have affection for me. The God that I cannot even grasp loves me. What? That's not something that's sad. That's something that just makes you get on your knees and go like, oh, why? But thank you. But why? But thank you. God rescues us. He comes to us. He befriends us. And he, we, I can't even define Trinity. And he comes for us. It's so important, not just that we can understand and grasp these things or talk too deeply about them. I think, okay, so before tonight. Getting vulnerable with you. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Uh, No, but really, like, before tonight. So I'm looking at Trinity, Trinity stuff. I went to school, like, where they talk about these things. I read many books, you know, And I thought, I need to talk about the Trinity. I need to talk about the fact that God is relational within himself. And I was excited about that. I was pumped about that. I was like, yes, it's gonna be good. This is what we need to talk about. And then I started actually doing the work and I started getting super overwhelmed. And then I started pulling books off my shelf. And last night at like two in the morning, I was like reading this textbook that in school I maybe read 30% of, you know how that goes. And I thought, I should have read this whole thing, man. I'm missing out. I'm not able to do this. I can't do this. And I was tired and I was like, I don't know what to do. And I just closed the book and I was like, Lord, I don't know what to do. And I'm so thankful that God said, You're right, you don't. And you don't have to know. You just need to let me love you and accept me as I am. Ever think about that? That it's not just that God accepts us as we are, but we accept him as he is, even if that's a mystery. Like, we have to be willing to accept him. And at the heart of it, I I know, like, uh, I wrote a lot of stuff down. I had, like, you know, a lot of notes and stuff that I was like, oh, I'm going to, people are going to know the Trinity. And then it's like, nah, I don't even know the Trinity. I can't, uh, that's maybe not the right phrasing. I can't describe the Trinity, but I know the Trinity. And that's what God is calling us to. Not to be able to describe it, but to know it, to know him. And that's at the heart of what we're talking about tonight and over these four weeks. Is that you don't necessarily need to define friendship to understand it. But I, by golly, I hope you know it. I hope you experience it with other people and with God himself. Wow, I did not plan to talk that long. We're going to go late tonight, everybody. So, Trinity. The Trinity. We have one God and three persons. And this is kind of convoluted, at least for us lowly people. By the way, I did find one thing that was really helpful. Um, if, if you're like so confused about everything I just said, um, <laughs> I saw someone nodding their head. Cool. Yeah, it's okay. It's super confusing. And like I said, it's deep water. But like something that was really that's done really well is the Bible project. They make videos about this sort of stuff, and they really they couldn't describe the Trinity either. But they did a great job visually, visually representing our limitations in our ability to understand it. And just visually putting like a 3D object on a 2D plane and it being like, here's this 3D object, and we are perceiving it from a 2D plane. It's quite literally impossible for us to fathom. And I just want to encourage you to check that out. It was helpful just to recognize the limitedness. I think they do a great job visually portraying that. So anyway, Trinity. We have one God with three persons. And the purpose of me pointing this out, this whole thing, is really to point out that relationship is an innate attribute of God himself. Relationship doesn't just predate creation itself. It was from, relationship was from the very beginning. It, it is out of relationship that the universe is created, that you and I are created. There's a guy named Karl Barth. I, I like a lot of the stuff he writes. Um, but this, is a, this sentence, a, this a quote I just want to read to you, it's really great. He writes this, At the center of the universe is a community. It is out of that relationship, out of the relationship that exists within God himself, the three persons within one. It is out of that relationship that you and I were created and redeemed. And it is for that relationship that you and I were created and redeemed. You know, in the book of John, at the beginning, it's sort of a secondary, a different perspective of the creation narrative in chapter 1. And at the end of that, in John 1, 12, we get this verse and it says to all who did receive him, that's to Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Sung Chan, another um, theologian wrote this about this passage, that it is true that the right to become the children of God will be given to those who believe in the name, the word or in the word in Jesus, the name of the word in Jesus. Whoa, whoa okay. okay. Yeah, you're tracking. However... It should be understood that the right to become the children of God is not just a compensation for believing in him. Rather, it is the recovery of the purpose of creation. To have relationship with God, to be called his child, is the very purpose of creation. It's the very purpose you were made. It's the very purpose Adam and Eve were made at the very beginning. It's written into the fabric of history and is expressed in the Bible that God is bringing about the recovery of that purpose that He intended from the beginning, and that's friendship with Him. And the coolest thing is that's not all of it. Having been created in God's likeness, we were also built for relationship with other humans. This is our purpose, friendship with God and friendship with others. That's the purpose of your life, friendship with God and friendship with others. If you've ever questioned it, Starts with God and flows to others. And that brings us to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, first two humans. In Genesis 2, 18, in chapter 2, a sentence emerges, and this is God who says this, and it said, it is not good for man to be alone. As I read earlier, chapter 1, 26 through 28, God set from the beginning that God, cre- God created us to be his image bearers. He created us in his likeness. And the, the fruit of that would be fruitfulness, that we would be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth. So we are created to be image bearers. We are created to be like God. We're made in his image, a relational God. So, of course, we're made with relational hardwiring. In Genesis 2, the significance for our being made in his likeness and being relational in nature is sort of expanded a little bit more. And the setup for the sentence that God speaks, that it's not good for man to be alone, is this, that God makes Adam, and he puts him in the garden with all the other creatures. But uniquely, uniquely about Adam, he's the only one without a mate, the only one without a counterpart. And God says, it is good about everything he makes along the way. It is good. It is good. It is good. Until this moment, when he looks upon Adam and says, it is not good for man to be alone. I got to think that this is entirely on purpose that God did things this way. Like the things that are written in the scriptures are not there aimlessly. If they're there, it's for a purpose that we might understand something about who God is or who we are. Those are the two things that play out in there. Who is God and who are we? And so it's on purpose that it's written this way. I think it's on purpose that God set it up this way. There's something for us to recognize that Adam was left without a counterpart so that the need of having one could be magnified. In Genesis 2:18, it is not good for man to be alone. And so then what does God do? He makes Eve. He makes Eve, and this is such an important verse for so many reasons, but why would it not be good for Adam to be alone? Why would God make it that way and then say it's not good? Why would that be? Uh, And like some simple answers, right? Well, maybe there was an emotional need that wasn't being met. Certainly there's a physical need, like he's called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, like you got to have a companion counterpart for that. Fellow human, there's a physical need, but maybe there's also a spiritual one, like like all the things that make us up. Maybe it's cognitive. I don't know. Maybe it's all of it. You might be like, what? <laughs> like, didn't he have enough with God? But here's the point. In Genesis 1:28, right. God tasked them with be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth, as his image bearers. He was tasking humanity with spreading his glory throughout the whole world and he was calling upon humanity to accurately image him. I like what J.I. Pack- Packer writes when he's talking about the church and I think it reflects in this and what's going on here with Adam and Eve. The task of the church, that's the people that make up the believers who followed Jesus, the church. The task of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible through faithful Christian living and witness-bearing. We are called to be image-bearers as a people, right? As a people, as a church. The fundamental, the fundamental reason why it was not good for Adam to be alone was not because of a need to be fulfilled within Adam, but rather because of a deficiency in his ability to accurately image God. He couldn't make the invisible kingdom visible while he was alone because the invisible kingdom is a community. Adam needed Eve to be to accurately reflect God. He needed another. He needed a counterpart. He needed another human so he could accurately reflect God. We needed the first couple, of course, to have humanity, to be fruitful and multiply. But foundational to this is that Adam and Eve needed to live in unity with one another so that the inter-Trinitarian relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit could be properly modeled and imaged in the world. Like you were quite literally made for relationship. Every part of you was made for relationship. Coming back to that quote by Barth, at the center of the universe is a community. And it is out of that relationship that you and I were created and redeemed. And it is for that relationship that you and I were created and redeemed. Like it's from relationship, the Trinitarian relationship within God and unto relationship with Him and others that we were created. You were created for relationship with Him and unto relationship with others. And it's from relationship, Trinitarian relationship with God and unto relationship with others that you were redeemed and find your purpose in flourishing. Like I said earlier that like I'm unworthy to be friends with God. All of us are. But the fact that we need to be redeemed, like we need to be redeemed. The heart is deceitful above all else. I am weak. I'm sinful. I've hurt people and harmed people. Even the things that I think like I'm oh I'm above that, I'm I'm actually not. I'm capable of all sorts of wickedness and evil. And I actually have done it. A lot of evil, a lot of a lot of wickedness. There's no hierarchy. There's just perfect and imperfect, and I am imperfect. And yet it's for relationship that God redeemed me, and unto relationship that he redeemed me. So even now, as I live and I stand up here and I talk with you or I interact with you, it's not because I am awesome. It's not because I am worthy, but it's entirely because I'm weak, yet he chooses me. If you see something good, if we're talking and or I'm friends with you, I'm friends with lots of you. Not everybody, maybe down the line. It's a process. And you think, wow, Brian, I really appreciate this about you. It's only because the Lord did something good in me first. It's only because God saw fit to give me something quality that I myself couldn't earn or make myself or produce myself. I didn't create me. He did. And the same is true for each and every one of you. Like there are things about you that are awesome. Truly, there are things about you that are awesome, and he gave them to you, that he could delight in them and delight in you using them to bless others, like delights at the heart of who God is, and it it was his delight to come and suffer for our sake that we might be restored into relationship with him, that we might have friendship with him, even though we're unworthy. Christ went to the cross, he suffered, he died. And on the third day, he rose from the grave and all of it. He left the throne room of heaven and all that comfort he took. Being a human kind of sucks, right? <laughs> like you have, you, It's like I have to sleep and I get tired and I get grumpy and it's hard. And man, do, are people mean? Yeah, super mean. And like there's suffering and sickness and weeping and crying. And we all, well, I'll speak for myself. Struggle to even understand what's going on in my own heart and emotions, and that comes out in really ugly ways at times. And even when I'm like trying not to harm people, I end up harming them because I'm broken and need like an emotional wheel taped to my cabinet so I can be, what am I feeling? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Disappointed. That's it. Yeah. What do I do with that feeling? Hmm. (laughs) Like, I'm so slow. Yet he came to me anyway to rescue me. What a kind God. You know, what we're about to do in a few minutes, you all have a card on your thing, on, or you did. On your chair. Thank you, Sarah. You know, on your thing, your chair. And there's questions on there. And the reason there's questions is because uh, if you groaned about mingle time, Sorry. <laughs> It is because what's the point in coming up here and talking about friendship and talking about the fact that we are made for a relationship if we don't take time to actually engage in it? Like knowledge is good, but knowledge finds its power, it finds life when it's coupled with experience. You know, for me, like I I remember a specific time, a very specific time, when friendship with God was made like, oh, this is. What it's like. This is who you are. This is when it started to build in a different way. Those three things, right? Intimacy, trust, and affection. I think I, I, when I came to the Lord and I submitted myself to Him, I saw Him as someone I could trust. But I didn't have intimacy with Him, and I truly didn't really have much affection for Him. He was just somebody I could trust. He could do things for me I couldn't do for myself. It made logical sense. There is reason and truth here. And the more I dug into that, the more it was proved right. And so it's trustworthy. God was trustworthy. But God wants more for us than just for us to see him as trustworthy. He wants us to know him as friend in all that's fullness, intimacy and affection as well. And I remember I was out surfing with some friends. Uh, We were at county at the point. It was a little glassy. It was like a beautiful day, sunny, warm. It wasn't crowded at all, which was rad. And like, I was maybe 19. And I remember I got this wave, and it was a good wave. and, And whether you surf or you do anything else, you all know the experience of doing something well, enjoying, literally delighting in what you've just done, and then wanting to share that delight with others like like you've done something maybe you wrote something a poem or something and even if it's scary you still are like wow this is this is meaningful and powerful and you go to a friend and you say hey did you look look isn't this cool like this is really neat what i was able to do you paint something you build something if you work on cars you want to like share the concepts and ideas you have about what you're going to build and how you're going to make it your car and all that kind of stuff right and so i caught this wave. And I don't honestly remember anything about the wave. I just remember that I pulled out of the wave and I did like the standard, this is what you do. You come out and you look to see if anybody else saw the wave, <laughs> right? Like you, you come out and it's like, yeah. And I, I pulled out of that wave and I was like, oh, all right, huge smile. I was like, man, that was awesome. And nobody saw it. <laughs> like Nobody. And I'm like a little disappointed, but I'm still, it was a great wave. This is awesome. And, you know, I like, I'm paddling back out and I'm just smiling. I'm like, man, that was good. Too bad nobody saw that? Why did I care so much if other people saw it? And I was just thinking about it. And it was just like God spoke to my heart and said, Brian, I saw it. And it was this like, oh my gosh, like, you have affection for me? You like delight in me? Like, what an amazing thing that, that there I'm riding this wave, and it's like he created the wave. He created the shoreline. He created the physics that were at play. He created me. He created all the things that I was enjoying about that moment. And to finally recognize I could enjoy all those things with him and share it with him, and that's what he wants, and, and he's watching, and he's there, and it just changed everything. It changed every moment after that. Not just the moments like that one, but even the really hard ones, the really terrible moments. He's there with me too. He's my friend. Like friendship is not about everything being good. It's about intimacy, trust, and affection. And that lands no matter your season, no matter your feelings, no matter the sorrow or difficulty you're in or the joy you're in. Affection, trust, and intimacy plays in every, every moment of your life. That totally shifted things for me. And from that point, I feel like I entered into the process of friendship with God. As I started inviting him and being open to him being with me and recognizing you are here. You want to be with me. You want to know me. Hey, I kind of want to know you too. Like, and recognizing how much he has shown me to him, shown himself to me. Even in the people I'm around, the sunsets, the all the things. And just being like, wow, you are all over the place thank you for showing me all this affection. Wow, I really love you. I really like being with you and getting to know him better. And I entered that process and that took time. And that's something that takes maintenance. It's gone up and down. It's ebbed and flowed. It's not something that's completed and it never will be. It's a process. And that same reality that's true about our relationship and walk with God, our friendship with God, is true about friendship with each one of us among each other. I mean, how cool would it be if this was a place that so reflected God that friendship is what defined us in this room? I want to be a part of that community. I want to be a part of a community like that. And I recognize I have a role to play. I have something I can bring. I have something I can Receive and offer and surrender unto each one of you and enter a process with you. That together we could be a community who loves one another in such a way that the world goes, dang, what's going on there? God must be at work or something that I can't define because it's a trinity and it's crazy. So with that in mind, um, I want to encourage you. We're going to take 10 minutes. We've done this in the past, and, and um, we're meant to be a people. And like Sarah said earlier, you can't love people who you don't know. You can't, you're, if you're not, to enter a process, there's always a beginning. And so maybe tonight's a beginning for some of you of entering a process of friendship with somebody else that's in this room that maybe you've never met before. Or maybe it's people that you do know, and you're like, I am friends with them. But it's about that process continuing and going deeper And more of that happening, more of that intimacy, trust, and affection being built. And so uh, there's two questions. And they kind of relate to the things, they do relate to the things we've been talking about. But those, uh, some of you, some of you are like, there's questions. We have things to do, everybody. (laughs) And so as you gather in three to six people, whatever, just turning around to the people around you, I want to encourage you, the questions are to help, um, but you don't need to. You can, you can. But you don't need to make it all about the questions. You know, take some time, introduce each other, and if you don't get to the questions at all, great. The hope is just that you engage and interact and have some like, you know, a heart of hospitality to one another. And but hopefully the questions help you, if you need it, and some of you might. I I know I need it, that guidance, that help to help guide me and think through how do I build relationship with others. Because a process isn't just something that you've mastered. You have to go in it many times before you master it or get used to it. And so asking good questions of people so you can actually know them, that's a hard thing. Sarah and I actually took time being like, how do we ask good questions as we were trying to figure out what are the questions that we can give people? And I don't know, maybe these are good, maybe they're not. But we're learning and trying to figure out how to do that well. So anyway, kidding. Uh. Take 10 minutes. I'll come back up in a few minutes and give you like a countdown. And then um, and then we'll do communion and we'll end with worship. Yeah. Good call, Austin. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Thank you, Austin. Father God, we thank you. We thank you before befriending us and doing what we can't do. And Lord, right now, I just ask that we would take a deep breath. That we would recognize that you, you, Lord, are good and kind. And that the people around us are people that you also love. And so may we enter in that love right now, Lord. May we be a people tonight who get the opportunity, and we take it, to participate in your love for the people around us. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'll come back up in a few minutes. Say hi. All right, everybody. If I could get your attention again kind of come back together. Band, if you guys want to make your way up. Come on up, come on up. Whew. All right, everybody, I hope that you... Met someone or enjoyed having a time to talk with other people that you already know. Either way, I hope uh, if, if you didn't get to finish a conversation or you feel like one started, there's still time after service, certainly. Um, and the hope is that this is just the beginning of entering the process of friendship with others. Um, talking about the process of friendship with God, one of the things that Jesus did on the night that he was betrayed. The night that he... Uh, good job, Corey. Proud of you. <laughs> sorry. Was that too... Sorry. <laughs> I like Corey. Corey's great. You do a great job. And, you know, it's okay. We, we love Corey. <laughs> didn't mean... That wasn't... Yeah, anyway. Okay. Lord, forgive me. And I ask that you would repair... Help me repair our relationship. Okay. So, we all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have fallen short of the things God originally created us for. To be in perfect harmony and relationship with not just him, but with others. We've all fallen short of that. And there is a price that is to be paid for that, that wrong. Justice demands it. Justice demands it. And it's a price that we couldn't pay. It's a price I can't pay. I can't go back in time and undo those things. The only payment is truly death in the fullest extent. But thankfully, Jesus came, and through his death, burial, and resurrection, he took on the things that we should have bared, that we should have suffered through, that we should have experienced. And he did it all for the sake of relationship if you haven't put your faith in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, what that means for your life, it's certainly not too late. It never is, actually. Not on this side of eternity. And there's opportunities. And I want to encourage you, if you got questions or you there's like, maybe it's the Trinity just really threw you for a loop. I just want to encourage you, talk to someone. Come talk to me, talk to Sarah. Maybe talk to the person next to you or who brought you. And you don't need the answers, all of them. We, none of us really have all of them. But ask them and enter into that process of getting to know Jesus and what he did for you. I want to, as we take communion, as we celebrate what Jesus instituted the night of his betrayal, the night before his crucifixion, in remembrance of what he did for each one of us to restore relationship with us. This is something that we do as a body, as a church, as a community. It's something that unites us in our our submission and reverence of Christ himself and our position as children of God, as brothers and sisters with one another. And this is a holy thing. This is a sacrament. It's a very holy thing. So if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I just want to encourage you. The last thing I want to do is make a hypocrite of you. This is something for the person who has put their faith in Jesus. This is an acknowledgment that Jesus has done something for me that I can't do. So don't make yourself a hypocrite. I guess I don't want to put you in a position where you feel like you have to. You don't have to. It's okay. It's okay. Kev, can you turn the lights down? That'd be great. Um. So, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus... And by the way, these things are a little bit difficult. There's like a top thing that you pull off, and you can get to this little cracker thing. And then there's the second one, and that's the juice. (laughs) Great. So on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which was broken for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. So now let's all take and eat this bread together, the bread that unifies us in Christ himself. Next, Jesus took a cup of wine. He put it on the table. Actually, he passed it around, I think. And he told them to drink this cup. Remembering his blood that was spilled, that was shed on the cross for their sake, that they may be redeemed, that we may be redeemed and put in right standing before God, that justice may be satisfied for our sake. He shed his blood for us, not because we are worthy, but because he loves us and he chooses us. So together, let's take and drink this cup, knowing that it is Christ's blood that unites us. Father God, we thank you, knowing that you, are you're super awesome, like you are amazing, and you've done what we can't do, and so we just come before you knowing that though we are not worthy, you have chosen us, you have called us, and so Lord, we love you. We love you, Lord, with our whole hearts. And whatever corner is not yet surrendered to you, Lord, would you you take it? Would you lead the way in this moment and in the days and years that come ahead of us, Lord? Would you lead us through the process of becoming friends with you? Of having intimacy with you? Of fully trusting you with our whole being? And loving you wholeheartedly? thank you, Lord, for doing that first for us. In Jesus' name, amen.